you know, we're at the very forefront of kind of even solar industry, like utility scale solar industry in Alaska. So um, it's it's a little different when you bring in a whole new workforce and you're, you've got to get them all up to speed and, and build it. This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everybody. This is Kelsey with Solar Power World magazine. I'm here today with Jen Miller, the CEO, and Chris Colbert, CFO of Renewable IPP, based all the way in Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm glad our time zones were able to link up. Welcome. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for having us. So can we start off by um, talking about how both of you got into solar power? So actually, yes. So Chris and I were both uh, life partners and business partners along with our other business partners. And um, Renewable IPP got started because uh, Chris and I and our other business partner, Sam, in 2017, we put solar rooftop solar on our houses and we did did it as DIY projects um, because we wanted to make sure that the projects were economic. And, um, and so we started with solar with five panels on our house. And uh, I guess we got a little bit cocky as we said, well, man, we should, you know, scale this to much, you know, larger scale projects. Um, but we all come from actually an oil and gas background and engineering backgrounds and have done project management. And it's a lot easier to manage one or a small number of large projects than to do a bunch of small ones. And we wanted to have a bigger impact. And so we said, okay, given our resources, how do we, you know, have the biggest impact? And we're really passionate about renewable energy, but also cost competitive energy that helps suppress energy prices for our state. And so then that led to this utility scale uh, solar business model. And it's the first in the state uh, back when we started in 2017. Yeah, and from that experience, just with those five panels on the house, and trying to figure out, well, okay, what does utility scale solar look like in Alaska? That's where um, we got the idea for our 140 kilowatt project. That was the pilot to see, could this even work? Um, and so it's built by the partners. And it was kind of funny. We approached the utility, just, you know, sit down with them and say, hey, we have this idea. Do you guys want to try it? We'll start really small and see if it can work. And they were very receptive to the idea. Um, and so we built that pilot project, uh, just to kind of test cost. Um, can we build it for what we think we can, will it perform, you know, what real world performance looks like on a solar farm. And so then that gave us the confidence at that point to say, okay, let's try and go to the next step in scale. And we expanded that site to a megawatt. And then from there, um, yeah, we got to the Houston project and just finished eight and a half megawatts. So. Um, <laughs> wow. <step by> step. <laughs> so you have to kind of do a lot of convincing utilities and people that this can work in Alaska. Yeah, actually, the utilities have been great because, you know, you know, we have it's on us to make, you know, the economic case to say, hey, you know, we can generate electricity and beat your cost of generation so we can deliver value to the utility and their members and really showing them that case is what got them excited to work on the project. Um, so it was very collaborative with the utilities. Um, the biggest challenge, you know, especially with the Houston project, that's where we had to go out for, you know, find investors and financing and all of that for the project. And that is a bigger lift convincing, 
you know, institutional investors and things like that, that, hey, this, this works and um, it's worth putting the effort into kind of getting through the due diligence process and um, getting to a project. And that's where we connected with Clean Capital, um, who financed and owns the Houston Solar Farm Project, the eight and a half megawatt. And that is the first large institutional investing in solar here in the state. And it is very, uh, their team, I and mean, we honestly can't say enough good things about their team because, you know, as we approach different potential investors, there actually weren't, you know, a lot of them weren't really willing to take on that due diligence effort. Um, whereas as soon as we met Clean Capital, they were actually like excited about the challenge mm -hmm. and they were willing to dig in. And honestly, you know, solar, solar in Alaska is actually the, the resource is the same as solar in Germany, which has the most deployed solar per capita. And so I think there's that, you know, people hear about Alaska and they think it's really extreme, but it's really not that different from, say, Michigan or Canada. Um, but it's getting over that uh, the perception hump and getting people comfortable with it because they kind of come with these preconceived notions. And it was great because Clean Capital was willing to work through that, get investment, you know, answer all their questions. And it really proved up that solar is an investable technology in the state. Mm -hmm. Right. I would imagine the biggest difference is just when you don't have sun for a while, but that mm -hmm. must be offset with the fact that you have all sun for a while too. <laughs> yeah. So our production profiles are quite a bit different than say the lower 48, but um, yeah, I mean, we probably see the same amount of, you know, sun exposure over a year, but yeah, ours is concentrated in the summertime. Um, and the main impact on our solar resource, just like Germany is really cloudy weather, um, but but yeah, in the winter, days are very short, but it is made up for by very long days, 24-hour days at times in the summer. <laughs> right. Is there a storage aspect with this 8.5 megawatt array, or is there plans for that? There is not a storage project associated or storage component of the 8.5 megawatt uh, Houston, Alaska solar farm, um, but the... Um, the utilities are actually putting in kind of grid-wide, system-wide uh, energy storage projects uh, that are coming up. A 40 megawatt Tesla battery went in a couple of years ago on one part of the grid and uh, more battery projects are coming. And, you know, as um, a developer in EPC, we're certainly looking to uh, propose future projects that are solar plus storage. Um, when you talk about the utilities that you work with, are there a ton of rural electric co-ops in your area? Are you working with mostly IOUs? What does that look like? They're all co-ops that we're working with and our primary area where we're focused on um, developing projects is called the rail belt. So that is the actual like bigger interconnected grid um, in Alaska and it spans from Homer on the Southern end, which is the Southern tip of the Kenai Peninsula up to Fairbanks in the interior. And um, yeah, so we're looking at uh, that kind of, it, it would be the big grid in Alaska. It's probably a very small grid compared to a lower 48. <laughs> okay. I wonder if the rural co-ops are a little more receptive to technologies like this um, in your experience than maybe a huge investor-owned utility. I do think um, the co-ops here in Alaska are definitely 
it's been, what's been really cool about the project is just the collaborative nature. Um, and I think in some of that, it's been the approach from both the utility side and our side to say, okay, hey, we want to deploy what is considered a new technology. Uh, we always joke like Alaska's 10 years behind the lower 48. Um, and so but it is considered a new technology because it, now that the price has dropped such that it is economic, um, but working together in a way that said, you know, we, we both come to the table, you know, we bring more expertise and background on the solar side, but they have the expertise on the grid, um, grid integration and operation side. And so both kind of being very humble and saying, you know, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, how do we work together? And so it has been a very, I think that is unique to Alaska and, and this co-op vibe of having that uh, collaborative nature and working together as opposed to um, sometimes you just hear more like a more aggressive nature uh, towards projects are more combative. And so we really, as a company and our core values have uh, focused on maintaining that collaborative nature, uh, building trust just because we are doing something new and a lot of first projects. And so when you have that foundational trust that allows us if we encounter an issue, then we can work through it as opposed to, you know, not uh, the project not moving forward. And so that's really been essential for us as we adopt new technology in the state. It just occurred to me to pick your brains about shipping, uh, shipping and receiving, and how the supply chain might work getting out to Alaska. Because I know a lot of people in the lower forty-eight have a lot of issues with the supply chain crisis. So, what does that look like up in Alaska? Well, I mean, for us, you know, we being up here, we do, you know, we're maybe just more used to the extra step in um, the procurement process, but, you know, really, it's it's really, you're shipping everything to Seattle, and then it's one more step to Alaska. So I think a lot of people see us as, you know, we're this way very remote, and procurement and uh, logistics should be extremely complicated, but we found ways to kind of minimize that complexity, and it really, we've avoided, um, too much of a markup. There's always a little bit of cost because we do have that extra, you know, 3,000 mile step from Seattle to Anchorage. But um, um, it honestly hasn't been that bad. We we deal with this probably very common procurement things with, you know, increasing lead times on electrical equipment or just the, you know, logistical headaches of international panel shipping, that kind of stuff. But um, I feel like our, you know, base logistics haven't been too onerous really going back to Seattle to Anchorage um, leg. And a lot of times just because we handle that that logistical leg so much and we have good relationships with the local shippers. And so initially when we're working with suppliers, they'll say, okay, well, like they know they're pricing to Seattle, say, and then we kind of just pitch it and say, okay, hey, let's get you connected up with the local shipping companies so that we can scope out that last part of the journey. Um, and I think some people, when we uh, speak to them, they'll say, oh, you know, like how often does the boat go there? And there's kind of this perception that like we get two shipments a summer or something like that. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, and we get uh, multiple shipments a week. So, yeah. Um, but it is, it's something that you just have to be conscious and upfront about. And as long as you scope it early, then, um, then you should be all set. <laughs> What else is unique about installing solar in Alaska? Maybe as far as like mounting, how deep you have to drive the piles. Um, I know you use bifacial 
panels for this big project. So just tell me about those different things. Yeah, probably, I mean, there, there's a lot like in terms of construction that really is probably identical to what people do in the lower 48. Um, and, you know, of course we just designed to site-specific wind and snow loads. Um, and then for like frost heave, it all kind of depends on the ground you have. So that's even kind of a custom design and embedment depths. If you're in really good ground, they aren't even that extreme. Um, if you have good like ground screw or helical pile anchors. Um, but I would say the most unique thing when you're trying to, you know, start, yeah, solar construction company up here from scratch is it really is kind of workforce related. You know, we don't have this seasoned renewable workforce just waiting to be hired and just show up and build the project. You're really just hiring. Our strategy has been hire all local. So for the Houston Solar Farm Project, all the employees were from the Matsu Borough, um, probably 80% of them were from right in the community where the project's located. Um, and then it's really on the job training. We get them any kind of like online OSHA training and all that as needed. Um, and then if there's any specific like solar installer training that specific employees need, we'll do that. But um, it's very much, you know, we're at the very forefront of kind of even solar industry, like utility scale solar industry in Alaska. So, um, it's, it's a little different when you bring in a whole new workforce and you're, you've got to get them all up to speed and, and build it. But um, I can say solar kind of lends itself to that a little better because it's, you know, you learn how to put in one row and now you can do all the rows. It's, it's repetitive. So it's not it's quite so daunting, like training up a whole new workforce, but it does add a little, a little interesting complexity to the whole thing. <laughs> We'll be right back. This edition of the Contractor's Corner podcast is brought to you by Scanafly, the only drone-based solar design software. Learn more about Scanafly at scanafly.com. Now back to the show. What has been the most rewarding moment of your career so far in this utility skill business? Um, I think, you know, for me, um, it's still related to the construction crew. Like when you're out there, you're working with the crew managing construction and you know that you've created all of these jobs. So these are people that were available. They may not have had a job. They, um, and this is truly new work. It's new thing being built that hasn't been built before. You're training people, new skills. Um, so it's very rewarding to do that, to know that, okay, there wasn't this job before we've created it. And now we're, yeah, helping the local community and like putting more people to work. That That's probably one of the most satisfying things to me. Yeah, I would agree. And we're a very hands-on company. And so we spend a lot of time in the field during construction. I mean, and Chris and I were out there uh, almost every day this, <laughs> this uh, build season. And so it is very rewarding to work side by side with our employees. And that's another thing that is part of our company culture is um, you know working to understand like what's the most efficient install methodology, but working ourselves with the employees and just getting to know everybody and and have that like joint uh, accomplishment that you know we were all part of the build and we all did this together. And uh, I think sometimes like you know going after the mission of climate change is so um, far out and you can't feel any immediate effects. Uh, but I agree with Chris one hundred percent. 
um, having creating those jobs, creating a positive work environment where people feel like they're uh, growing new skills, they're in a positive workplace. That is absolutely like kind of the most immediate reward. And I think too, the big thing for us too is, is we did just finish um, our eight and a half megawatt Houston Solar Farm build and, and the whole project. And so we, our company developed that project. It was the first time we brought in major outside financing to, to do the project. We had very real contracts that, um, you know, to mechanical completion dates and a very, you know, and a tight budget, quite frankly, because the power uh, purchase price had been agreed prior to the 2022 inflation that the industry saw. And so we really had to get smart about how we were going to manage that budget and that and the project has come in on schedule and on budget and um, coming from a project management background that yeah is we're very proud to have have you know and we had to dig deep to hold both of those uh, metrics and so to have pulled that off and pulled it off in a way where we have gotten feedback from our employees that they like the workplace we had a, you know, we didn't just uh, we did it in a positive collaborative way and the stakeholders we just had our ribbon cutting. And it was really neat to hear from the utility, from the landowner, the local community, um, local state agencies, just and, and clean capital all saying, you know, the value that they're getting from the project. And so just hearing our mission was to deploy renewable energy at a price that suppresses energy prices for Alaskans and deliver value to all stakeholders. And we actually, we pulled it off. <laughs> and so, um, and it, it was uh a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> uh, but uh, very worth it in the end to have that outcome. Would that be the most rewarding um, project or the one that stands out the most, or are there any others that you wanted to highlight? I think the Houston project, I mean, um, the, the first projects, you know, they had their challenges as we were coming up the uh, learning curve, but the Houston project, like the Willow the whole Willow project was proof of concept. It was to show this works. It can produce what we need. The project can be economic, but going to the scale of the Houston site, that's where, yeah, you're going for, you know, bigger investment. We needed to have, um, you're going through the, yeah, the whole financing due diligence process. So there's just more, um, more people really digging into the details of the project. Um, and so it, yeah, and just the scale of it as it, you know, we're, we're starting this solar construction company from scratch and you're, you show up to site and it's like, oh man, we've got to move, you know, 200,000 pounds of steel over 45 acres in the next couple of months. And I've got a whole crew that first thing we've got to train them how to do this. So, um, big challenges kind of daunting at times, but to have pulled it off. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, to date, that was, that's what really stands out of that project. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that was, it's really the, the first really big step that established, establishes us as a formal professional EPC company mm -hmm. and really demonstrates our capability. And so I think that was really uh, monumental for the company. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask next, where do you go from here? Do you like that eight and a half spot? Do you see yourself going exceeding that? We're currently working on a project in the Kenai Peninsula. So it's in the southern part of the grid. And we're actually looking to so the 
eight and a half megawatt Houston solar farm ties into medium voltage, the distribution system. And so for our next project, we're looking to go roughly uh, four times the size and tie into transmission. And so we are looking to uh, go bigger, to get even better economies of scale and deliver lower cost energy to Alaskans. And um, and then, you know, I think from there, we'll be looking more at solar plus storage and just really trying to expand the technology in the state. Do you have any plans to try and capture some of these IRA bonus credits um, in energy communities? I'm sure there's probably a lot of them up in Alaska. Yeah. So as part of that project on the Kenai, we are looking at, um, yeah, energy community bonus and hoping that, yeah, we can get more benefit out of the IRA, which uh, just helps further suppress energy prices, like what we'll be able to sell electricity at and increases the benefit for the co-op and all their members. Um, trying to think of what other ones might apply for, for you guys. I know there's the low income bonus credit could probably also tie into some locations. Yes, I think, and that is even tied in with that um, with that energy community. And so there's the, we'll be looking to, of course, do uh, the prevailing wage to maximize that base ITC level. And then um, the, of course, the uh, energy community. And then we're, you know, we're just keeping an eye on the um, domestic content uh, requirements and just seeing, you know, I think everyone in the industry is watching those and trying to figure out, okay, what's the math? How do we make this work? And so uh, we would love to, we kind of keep that as, as a high side case. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, the case. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. I know that's pretty TBD still, the that domestic content, um, but manufacturers are working to, to bring operations to the U.S., so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the IRA, I say, you know, hats off to, to Congress for putting together such strategic legislation. That 10-year duration of that legislation is really a fundamental shift as we, you know, before it was, you know, every couple of years, like, oh, is, is the ITC going to get extended? It's going down. And so it really felt um, very feast and famine and didn't have a lot of certainty to develop pricing for projects. And so having that 10-year duration, plus to incentivize local manufacturing, I mean, we need, they need a serious commitment from the industry before you stand up big manufacturing plans. So um, just, a, yeah, a plug for the IRA and uh, how great that is for the industry to have that certainty. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. What is preventing you from installing more projects? I was thinking about this and, and uh, Chris can definitely add on, but I think for us, it's uh, a bandwidth issue. And so we are a young company and, um, you know, and you have limited capital dollars um, as far as, you know, hiring employees, growing your team. Uh, but with the Houston Solar Farm project, because we did come in on budget, that did set us up well to grow as a company. And so for us, it'll be looking to get yeah, to grow our team so that we can take on more, you know, framing more projects. And, you know, because it does, we find about two to three years in development to get that project from idea to construction. And so the more of those we can get in the pipeline and get in front of utilities so they can start doing analysis on their end, then that'll mm -hmm. really help us grow and then ideally stabilize so that we're in construction every year and rather than starting with a new workforce every summer ideally carrying um, our construction team from year to year and, and building that capability long term yeah no i agree i mean we're seeing a lot of interest um 
with the utilities that we're working with. And yeah, they've been very collaborative and they definitely want to see more projects. And so it really comes down to us to be able to frame up projects and be able to show the economic value to everybody. And um, so, yeah, I'd agree. That's, <laughs> yeah, us growing. Yeah. That's important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We feel that bottleneck. <laughs> it's very, it's very uh, front and center for us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And uh, what are some future products that you're looking forward to working with on big projects? Well, I mean, one that, I mean, everyone's watching um, is definitely solar panels. You know, we, we're in Alaska. Uh, I think bifacial solar panels are very uniquely suited uh, because we get two of our sunniest months are March and April. And that's when we still have a ton of snow cover on the ground. So we see, um, I, I would imagine we see bigger bifacial gains um, than other places in the country, I'd imagine. Um, so seeing panels get slightly more efficient, we like seeing them get bigger. Can we get more wattage? Can we reduce our, um, overall footprint? Cause that reduces costs on racking, wiring, everything. So, uh, that's something we're always watching. And then other things, we go to bigger projects. Uh, we're always looking for, we still like doing string inverters up here. They're a little more maintainable, a little more flexible, easier to get and change out. Uh, so as those get to bigger capacities, it's helpful and yeah, continuing to, yeah, try and optimize wiring runs and all that stuff. Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing about the string inverters and we've just really been, yeah, because we are remote and it's difficult for us to, you know, say fly up a, a technician from not only the expense of that, but the delay in getting somebody here to maintain, say, like a, a central inverter. And so we are really looking to those larger capacity string inverters uh, as a way to minimize the number of inverters we need to maintain <laughs> while still having that flexibility and ease of maintainability. Yeah. How do you guys do O&M? Do you have a dedicated team? Do you outsource that? It's all within us. So yeah, we handle the O&M side as well. So we're kind of yeah developing projects. We're doing the EPC part. And then we're also... Um, doing operations and maintenance. And so one of the big components of that up here is snow management. So we have, uh, now we have a skid steer with a big snow blower on it that makes that a lot easier. So we have an employee that'll just be doing laps in Houston all winter to keep, you wanna keep the front of the panels clear so they can slide and you don't get snow building up all the way up your array, so yeah. And that do you have a video? Big... Do you have a video of that? I would love to see the snow. Oh, we'll have to look on and see. Yeah. I'm sure we do somewhere. We might need yeah. to dig it up from um, from all the videos we share in the, yeah, in the yes. team. Um, but yeah, that was definitely something strategic when we set up the company. And I think uh, potentially, you know, not as common where we're the developer, then we're the contract EPC, and we're the contract operation and maintenance company. And I think that was really essential both from Clean Capital's perspective. And then also from the utilities perspective, on the utility side, you know, when you come to pitch a project, they're like, okay, great. But like once, you know, like, let's say you just do the development side, they're like, okay, well, who's going to build it and who's right. going to be my partner long-term. And so knowing that we're kind of cradle to grave with the project that really helped us build that trust. And it also feeds back into when we do construction or when we do design, we're thinking about that operation 
element and we do design a little bit differently and we construct in a way that we like we, there's a vested interest in, in us to do it in a quality way so we don't have a lot of operational issues mm-hmm. down the road because we know that we're going to be dealing with them <laughs> um, and on the investor side I think to get uh, investment in Alaska where the industry is not set up you know they needed to know that there's someone that did all those functions um, in order to make the project fundable. And so it, it was both an essential element of starting the business, but it's also been strategic in mm-hmm. um, the financing and the relationship with the utilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for your time. This was fun getting to learn about a type of solar that I don't usually get to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, very nice to meet you, Kel- Kelsey, and thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.